The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damien Sasso. Michael Barr is off today. We are going to dive into some recent reporting that finds eight Ivy League schools in some hot water over their longstanding ban on athletic scholarships. Yeah, a group of current and former Brown University student-athletes are filing a class action suit saying that the ban restrained competition among schools and violates federal antitrust law. Bloomberg's Hadriana Lohenkron did the reporting on the story, and she joins us now to discuss. Hadriana, welcome to the Business of Sports. Thanks. It's great to be here. So let's just go into what this lawsuit says. Damien gave us the, the quick overview, but tell us what the lawsuit overall alleges and where it came from. Certainly, certainly. So as you may know, um, the status quo has long been that the Ivy League is the only uh, Division One league to ban student-athlete scholarships. Um, and so essentially what this lawsuit is alleging is that this practice is actually an act of price-fixing. Um, and I think what's important to note here is that this lawsuit isn't necessarily unexpected in that the Ivy League has had a congressional exemption from this antitrust law over which the, um, the two students are filing. Um, since 1994, which is essentially um, allowing these universities to have an exception, which will, you know, essentially enact this this ban, uh, banning these scholarships. Mm-hmm. But that exemption was actually, uh, actually expired in September of 2022, oh. a lo- kind of opening the door for lawsuits just like this. So, Hadriana, I mean, just to, for our audience also, I mean, it seems like there are 350 universities, Division I uh, institutions, so to speak, and the Ivy League, to be clear, are, is the only collection of institutions that do not provide uh, scholarships for student-athletes. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Okay. So then my question is this, and you mentioned price-fixing, which is interesting because you know that the Ivy League and other elites were similarly sued last year for price-fixing when it comes to financial aid packages, but this is different, right? Because it seems to me that this suit is sort of piggybacking on the Supreme Court's 2021 decision which struck down, which which created NIL effectively, right? Education-related compensation for student-athletes. So talk to us about how similar this process is and what the court system is going to view it as. I mean, is this sort of NIL smokescreen type of stuff going on? Right. Well, definitely the Supreme Court uh, case ruling uh, will help out these plaintiffs in this case. Uh, And and the suit actually very clearly says that the Ivy League stance on student-athlete pays inconsistent with that ruling. And just to be clear, what that ruling did was um, essentially say that the NCAA's restrictions on education-related compensation for student-athletes um, was in violation of law. So, so essentially what the, the, uh, the students are looking to, uh, uh, to, to make the case here is that uh, what these Ivy League universities are doing um, is not is not, is not allowed and is not uh, it, there's it's no different than what the NCAA was trying to do with all of these colleges and so essentially since the NCAA um the, the ruling of the Supreme Court case was that the NCAA was no longer allowed to ban, uh, you know, these scholarships, that the, the Ivy League should have no exception, again, now that that, uh, 
the exception from 1994 expired last year. So, so Hadriana, I, I just have to ask you point blank. Do you think that this case has merit, that the Ivies should be forced to provide scholarships to student-athletes? Well, I think that, you know, what, what the Ivy League is, is, is saying in their defense is that the uh, student-athletes, you know, should be treated the same as non-student-athletes and that both groups are entitled to receive need-based financial aid. Um, but, you know, what the Supreme Court case said was that all of these universities who have uh, who are participating in NCAA right, or sports programs, athletics, right? They, they, right? They should be paying these these athletes. I hear you exactly. And so, you know, they they were kind of, uh, you know, they had shelter under this uh, congressional exemption. But I mean, now that there is no exemption, mm-hmm. it, it seems to me that there there definitely is merit. Um, and of course, you know, when we're looking at how this impacts the schools and the student athletes. Um, it, it could actually be beneficial for the schools. I mean, well, A, we know that the universities make a lot of money off of these student-athletes, right? The suit cites about $625 million that the NCAA brought Division One schools, most of which comes from the annual March Madness basketball tournament that we're, we're starting up very soon. Um, and, and, you know, I think that it could even help attract more athletes who maybe want to attend these prestigious universities but can't afford the sticker prices, you know, forcing them to... Uh, pursue their athletics elsewhere. So I think, you know, it could work out in their favor. So, Hadriana, you went to UPenn, is that right? I did, yeah. Okay, how, did you see a lot of student athletes at Penn? Yes, I did. And did did you get a sense of how they got there? Because I'm a parent of a, a child who applied to college recently. Damien is in the same boat. And what surprised me is how often student athletes get commitments from Ivy League schools in their junior year, and they wait until the early decision announcements come out in, say, December of their senior year, and they're in. So a lot of the early decision uh, admissions is reserved for student athletes. And we talk about how there are over 350 colleges and universities that participate in Div 1 athletics, um, but there are only eight Ivy League schools. And those Ivy League schools know that they're sitting in a great position because ultimately everyone wants to go to them. There's more demand than there are spaces. So they can pick and choose and their gift. So in, and, and here, I'm totally speculating and, and putting myself out there and saying that their gift is thinking, you know what, we're going to give you the possibility. We're going to give you a Harvard. We're going to give you a Harvard education. I mean, that's that's right. that's effectively what you have to decide. Right. If I'm exactly. not mistaken. I mean, Hadriana, I mean, is, what is the value you place on a Harvard versus <laughs> a South Dakota state you, you know, degree? Right. I mean, that's really right. what is we're South talking Dakota about. Div one? Uh, right. It is. I think the Salukis are. As a matter ah, of fact. Okay. Um, you know, so, so I guess you get my point here. It's just fascinating that NIL and what the Supreme Court, you know, uh, you know, decided upon how that's kind of impacting, you know, the very financial aid packages that you know our best and brightest are getting or not getting it's just it's it's just an amazing it's it's amazing that this case even has merit Definitely. I mean, I think it's important to note, of course, when you're looking at these Ivy League universities, you're looking at the caliber of sports, right? I mean, if mm-hmm. you're if you're uh, setting some type of limit, right, of you know how much a student has to pay, I mean, you're essentially barring you know you know potential talent, right? And I think that kind of speaks for itself when we're looking at uh, the you know the caliber of sports. And so I guess um, as you're saying, you know, when students, young students, are trying to figure out which schools to go to, whether they care more about their sports, whether they care more about their education, you know, if if there were scholarships maybe they wouldn't have to make that sacrifice, right? Or they wouldn't have to make that decision and they could get both. So, again, I mean, I think that there's there's some real impact here that could come out of this case. 
I mean, at the end of the day, the Ivy League schools are probably thinking we don't give athletic scholarships because we don't have to. Right. And so that, that's that's all it comes down to. There's enough people who want to join us. So right. you know. what's amazing is the U.S. government might actually very well force them to, which is just unbelievable to me. Can you imagine like having to? I mean, they're going to literally force a uh, an, an institution of higher education to actually give scholarship. It's just amazing to me. Well, anyway, it's a long and winding road before we get there. It real. It is. That is, that is correct. <laughs> From Silicon Valley to Wall Street. The promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, Top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Hey, hey, Adriana, you wrote an, another great article about billionaire Steve Ross, you know, and, you know, what is going on with him and FIFA. You know, Ross's relevant sports group, um, you know, I think a recent ruling was overturned against the firm. I wonder if you could just, you know, talk to us a little bit about what's going on there. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a sports antitrust law kind of week, <laughs> I guess. Um, so as you mentioned, you know, Steve Ross uh, owns Relevant Sports Group as well as, um, you know, Entrepreneur and so other way, so many other ways. SoulCycle, Equinox, the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, no. We, <laughs> the we, Miami <laughs> Dolphins, yes. University of Michigan, really I'm just nothing, kidding. Right? He doesn't really own University of Michigan. He just <laughs> Okay, careful there, Damien. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so he has long worked to increase access and profitability in the the. <clears throat> The U.S. soccer industry, um, and I think that what's important about this particular case, right, and, and it came out of um, multiple attempts on a relevant sports behalf to essentially set up games um, bet- between foreign teams, but that would be on U.S. soil, you right. know, thinking, oh, we'd get more of an audience this way. Um, and essentially what the original ruling was that, or sorry, and, and the lawsuit alleged that there was a policy uh, FIFA and U.S. Soccer Federation policy um, that prohibited that. Um, and, and so what this lawsuit was alleging was that that policy, um, you know, violates antitrust law and is, is known as, it's an anti-competitive policy, essentially, that restricts access to the game, and he's trying to increase access to the game. Mm-hmm. So that was where the lawsuit kind of stemmed from. Um, and originally, district court, you know, found that he had failed to allege that there was some kind of conspiracy going on between, you know, FIFA and the U.S. soccer. Um, but, you know, what, what was exciting, uh, you know, and a win to Ross this week was that a federal appeals court overturned that ruling. So essentially, you know, there is hope for Ross to maybe one day arrange for, you know, the U.S. to host these foreign games and, and bring more um, profitability, bring more access, uh, bring more attention to the sport. So effectively what we're talking about, similar to the way the NFL has games in London or in Germany or wherever, you know, right. Mexico, that's all we're talking about is FIFA matches being held on U.S. soil. Is that is that correct? Yes. So, so I guess the first question I have is how much money could that possibly be costing, you know, I guess... Stephen Ross and his and his company and relevant. First of all, I guess I don't know if you even have a you know a, an idea of that, but you know I can't imagine it's it's that much, right? And then and then the second question I have is you know just you know as it relates to um, you know international soccer and coming to the U.S. I mean, 
how do you prove a horizontal conspiracy even exists? You know what I mean? I guess that was the whole, you know, overturning of this, that they that they, they failed to allege that a conspiracy exists, but now they're overturning it, meaning they have more evidence that a conspiracy... I'm, I'm just curious what that all means. Right. I mean, I think what, 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 what the, the courts were looking at here is this um, policy uh, from 2018, essentially, as I had mentioned before, um, not allowing for the um, playing of of these games between foreign teams on U.S. soil, and the the allegation was that that particular um, that that particular policy was you know anti-competitive, dividing right. the geographic markets and restricting access to the game. And you know what's important to note here is that the the that first you know, court that, that alleged that he failed to um, to find that, you know, quote-unquote horizontal conspiracy, um, set, the ruling was that there was not an agreement to agree, you know, to, to make mm-hmm. this policy with any kind of, you know, malintent in a sense. But what the, the court now is finding was that it is plausible that this... Um, and this particular policy is anti-competitive. So I guess focusing less on this conspiracy theory and more more looking at the policy in itself. So, so Hadriana, the other thing about Steve Ross is that um, he's also in the news and uh, there are some legal headwinds that he's facing because of uh, his Miami Dolphins. Put those together. What's the linkage there? Right. I mean, you know, it, it could be as simple as at least we have this one win <laughs> in the sense that, um, you know, as you pointed out, the Miami Dolphins have been in a bit of heat. Um, he has, uh, not he himself, but the Dolphins have been named uh, in a pretty big uh, racial discrimination case uh, by former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores. Um, and that has really been kind of running through the NFL scene, um, impacting, of course, the, the New York Giants as well. And so, you know, with, with a lot of kind of press attention going to the NFL, right? We just had the Super Bowl. And that's kind of on everyone's minds. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, for Ross and you know, and having this win in the, in the soccer industry, which also, you know, has, has a lot of viewers, a lot of international viewers. And I think, again, as I said before, you know, he's really trying to bring um, more, you know, U.S. attention and U.S. focus. So I think that, um, you know, it, it is a great a great win for him, and, and of course, you know, with litigation like this, it does take a very long time, both with this Flores case and with um, this the soccer case. So, so it, it's a waiting game; it's it's definitely a long game. But you know, it, it could be good news. Well, you know, we'll see what happens. So, hey, John, I guess I and, and Scarlett, correct me if I'm wrong here. I gotta believe that the court system is looking at a lot of the recent violations that have have hit um, regarding FIFA and Sepp Blatter and uh, the the World Cups in Russia and Qatar and how mm. they were awarded and vote rigging and scandals and all this kind of stuff. And I got to believe it's they out there. Have, it's out there, right? So I got to believe that in some way, shape, or form, you know, some of that stuff kind of filtered into the decision it tree here. or colors your thinking maybe, but <laughs> I don't know that they can necessarily cite it as a precedent. Right. I right. don't know. It's definitely something out there, though. Hadriana, really appreciate your joining us. Hadriana Lohenkron is a Bloomberg News reporter. She is a reporter on the legal team uh, talking to us about the lawsuit against the Ivy League over athletic uh, scholarships and their ban over these athletic scholarships. And also billionaire Steve Ross getting a second shot at uh, his soccer ambitions, uh, marketing foreign soccer teams or sorry, global football teams, regular season matches (laughs) in the U.S. for those uh, soccer fans or global football fans out there. (laughs) 
Patreon. I really appreciate it. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show. I'm Scarlett Fu along with Damian Sassauer. Be sure to catch us each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday where we explore the world of money and sports. Also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Scarlett Fu. And I'm at D Sassauer. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.